Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. In an act of defiance, a group of activists and community volunteers are setting up an overdose prevention site in Coburg. It will consist of two tents. It will be a place where addicts can take illegal drugs that will be safe and support them. At first, it is shocking to learn this is taking place. Yet Missy McLean, one of the organizers, says this is an act of resistance. It challenges politicians, police, and bureaucrats, as well as everyone in the community, to wrestle with the crisis facing Northumberland County. It is an interview that challenges how we think about the people who use narcotics and the solutions needed. You will definitely want to listen if you have any thoughts about this. I'm so pleased to have with me today Missy McLean, a community organizer and advocate. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thanks for having me back, Rob. You have a plan to launch an overdose prevention site in Coburg. So let's begin with what is an overdose prevention site? Sure. Um, An overdose prevention site is essentially, um, it's a medical tent. Uh, It's it's a first aid response to uh, an emergency health crisis where we provide folks who use illicit drugs a safe, welcoming, non-judgmental space to consume their drugs. And while we're allowing them to use the space in that way, we're providing care to them by monitoring them and responding immediately if they have an overdose or other health concern. Is it literally a tent? Ours is. Yep. Okay. So two tents actually. Okay. Two tents. We'll come back to that in just a second. But first, I want to get a clear idea of what this is. How is it different than a safe injection site? Mm -hmm. So the way that um, we typically... Uh, distinguished between an overdose prevention site and what's known as a consumption and treatment site, a CTS in Ontario, is that largely overdose prevention sites are unsanctioned. So they're typically grassroots responses to the toxic drug poisoning crisis in communities, volunteer run. They don't necessarily receive funding from any level of government for their operations. Whereas a consumption and treatment services site um, has gone through a really extensive uh, process of uh, all levels of government obtaining a a federal exemption from the uh, Controlled Substances Act, uh, then going through provincial um, uh, health legislation 
to get uh, funding and then also going through municipal legislation to um, get approval for actually constructing the site. Um, and so there's a bunch of different variations of overdose prevention sites, but where they originated largely, um, like if we look at the original overdose prevention sites in Ontario, is they were literally tents set up in parks in communities where um, the community was being ravaged by the overdose crisis. And uh, frontline workers, community members, people who use drugs said, we're not going to stand by and watch our friends and family die. We're going to take action and we're going to set up these spaces and take care of each other and save each other's lives. Are they performing the same function but one's regulated and one is not. Is is that correct? Am I correct in that? Yeah, yeah, okay. pretty much. All right. So where you said there's two tents. Yes. Where where are the tents going to be located? Yeah. So we have chosen a a downtown location because one of the important things that we know from research is that in order for a site to um, be used, it needs to be close to folks. Um, it needs to be where folks are who are consuming criminalized drugs. And so we've chosen a location that we think is going to be accessible for our, our neighbors and our community members. Um, and it will be uh, two tents. One is an inhalation tent. One is an injection tent. And then we'll also have uh, a table and canopy with you know, food, drink, harm reduction supplies, um, wound care, um, survival gear, all of all of the things that that folks need. What is survival gear? Yes, survival gear can be tarps, it can be tents, it can be sleeping bags, um, it can be hand warmers, anything that helps somebody, especially folks who are sleeping rough, who are unhoused, it, it's stuff that helps them survive. Downtown's a pretty big place. Where downtown? So I'm going to be uh, cagey about the exact location, Rob. Why? Yeah, because um, this is an operation that is not without, I, I guess, I, I don't find it controversial, saving people's lives, uh, providing medical care to folks who need it, um, but some people do. And so uh, for the safety and protection of the folks that we hope are, are going to be using this site, um, we're not disclosing the exact location publicly. The folks who, who will want to make use of the site will know where it is, where to find us. Who's behind this? Um, community members, me, um, a bunch of my friends. Um, yeah, it's just neighbors, neighbors and friends and, um, you know, allies, uh, folks who use criminalized drugs, folks who use criminalized drugs are part of our team. Are you getting any support from anywhere? Um, yes, we are getting support from folks who have been running an overdose prevention site in Peterborough for over a year now. They have been guiding us, supporting us. We're also connected with the Dr. Peter Center in Vancouver. Um, they're providing us with uh, guidance and resources. Um, but the majority of our operations are funded by donation only. If I wanted to make a donation, who'd I be donating to? What's, is there an organization that's accepting this money? Yeah, so our site is called Tweak Easy CBG. 
So we are um, a sister site to the original Tweak Easy site in Peterborough. And so we have uh, tweakeasycbg at gmail.com if folks wanted to send a donation via e-transfer. Um, we have a GoFundMe. Yeah. Are, are you uh, a charity? Are you registered or? No, completely grassroots. And, and how much money have you raised or how much has it costed so far? Uh, so, so far we're looking at about $1,500 for the initial investment to set up, you know, purchase our supplies, get ourselves situated. These are volunteers. Yes. This kind of activity, it would, I would imagine it would be like a warming room. You would need some sort of training. Would you not to do this or? Um, yeah. Yeah. You need, you need training to know how to identify um, someone in medical distress, like first aid training. You need to be able to identify what uh, an overdose by opioid or benzodiazepine or stimulant uh, can look like. And then you also need to have training to know how to respond to that uh, medical emergency if called upon. And will the people involved receive that training? They, yes, they have already received that training. Um, we've done uh, several trainings in um, uh, trauma-informed overdose response. We're getting um, a group CPR and first aid recertification going. Um, and the other piece of this is that aside from the, you know, um, the credentials uh, of training and, and regulation, we have folks who have lived experience of saving their friends' lives already and have been doing so for years. So they come with their own expertise, their lived expertise. What about things like insurance or liability, those kinds of things? How, how does that get handled? I mean, how does it get handled when someone responds to a medical emergency on the street using their first aid prowess? It's the same, same thing. You're seeing someone in medical distress uh, and you are taking it upon yourself to respond. When is this going to take place? When? Yes. Yeah, so we're starting, we're going to be operating Friday nights only to start from 7 till 10 p.m. And that sounds like, and it's, it's not enough to meet the need. But what this is really is an act of resistance as much as anything else. It's an act to say, this is needed in our community. There is a way to provide this in our community. We're doing it. We're showing you how. And, um, and so we're starting, again, modeling ourselves after uh, Tweak Easy in Peterborough. They operated on Friday nights for the better part of a year. And then they actually did start getting some um, funding and support, financial support from different um, levels. I think of um, maybe PARN and some different organizations. And so they've been able to expand their operations now to more than one night a week and um, more than two locations most nights as well. So how how does it work then? Can you describe what would happen, for example? So the tents are set up, people know where they need to go. Yep. They arrive, what happens? Describe what happens. Yeah, they, they show up, um, they're greeted by 
their friends and neighbors who are there to um, to oversee the operations. Um, they can get something to eat. They can get something to drink. They can have a conversation. It's as much about uh, community connection as it is anything else. Um, and so then if they are wanting to use a substance um, that they've brought with them, then they can access uh, new, new supplies if they need them. And then they can uh, find, find their way into the inhalation tent has um, about half a dozen seats. Um, the injection tent uh, will likely have one, maybe two, just depends, it's, it's a smaller tent. Um, and then people hang out, they, they use their substance, um, they, are, they don't have to rush, they don't have to hide, um, they know that if something um, happens uh, and they drop because of the toxic drug supply, that there are people on standby who are going to take care of them, who are going to watch out for them, who are going to make sure that any of their belongings are kept safe while they're being uh, cared for. Um, yeah, and, and then they can stay for as long or as, or as short a time as they like. Now you mentioned in your answer about supplies. Do do you what do you supply? Um, so the same harm reduction supplies that people can access through a variety of channels in the community. Um, so we'll have you know um, all of the um, sort of uh, equipment that people need to consume different substances, such as. Um, such as um, new uh, needles, um, pipes, uh, alcohol swabs, um, foil, lighters, the, the same things that you'd be able to access from any harm reduction um, service provider. Do you supply the drugs? No. So is, is that something different than between a safe injection site and an overdose pre prevention site? Uh, no, no, neither one? Neither one provides drugs to people. People bring their own substances. What are some of the legal issues associated with doing this? So the main legal issues, so there's actually a really terrific guide that the Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs put out, and it's called This Tent Saves Lives. It was published a number of years ago, and it's essentially a handbook by the folks who um, started the first open overdose prevention sites in Toronto, and, um, and I think also some folks in Vancouver. They put this guide together to help build capacity in communities across the country. And so when they review the legal um, challenges, possible implications, really the one that comes that comes down to it is uh, trespassing, depending on where you set up your site. Um, and so we're setting up on private property where we've been given permission to be there, as opposed to public property where, you know, bylaw or, um, or someone well, essentially bylaw could come by and say that we we can't be there um, or we're breaking a bylaw by setting up a tent. Um, that's the main one. Now, some people might think you are encouraging or facilitating drug use or or even helping people to take drugs. What do you say to those people? Um, I say that people are already using drugs. People are using drugs all day, every day. And so what we're doing is we are facilitating and encouraging safe drug use. 
we're saying to people, we see you. We see you as someone who is criminalized for your substance use. And we know that you are surviving the best you can. And we are here to be with you and to show you care and to show you support and to stand in solidarity with you. This has implications, obviously, when you think about it legally. I mean, people are using illegal substances. Doesn't that create a, a situation that opens you up to, say, the police coming and laying charges and all kinds of things like that? How, how do you respond to that? Yeah, it absolutely does come with that risk. Um, so what we're going by is... Um, evidence and practice that has been happening in communities, especially in cities across the country for years now, in which um, law enforcement typically respects what the overdose prevention site stands for and is trying to do, which is keep people alive and act as a medical tent. And so, you know, we've engaged um, Cobra Police Service. We've talked to them. We've explained what we're doing. And, um, and essentially, I, uh, I've been told that, you know, police are already following the directives of um, the Crown Attorney in Ontario, which is to not charge folks for simple possession of illegal substances. And so, we're, it, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But the, the bottom line is people are already using these drugs. Um, we're providing a space where they can use them. Uh, and have a better chance of staying alive and and not incurring more harms. You've said in your press release, and also you've mentioned in this conversation, that this is an act of resistance. So yeah. what do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so it's an act of resistance against all levels of government who are failing to respond to a nationwide health emergency with an emergency response. That that we're resisting the necropolitics of those decisions, right? Uh, we're resisting that structured, targeted abandonment by government. And we're saying we will take care of ourselves and each other uh, in the absence of you taking that role on yourselves. Now, at the very beginning, when we were distinguishing between the overdose prevention site and the safe injection site, one of the big things was regulation. Why is it necessary to do it the way you've chosen to do it as an act of resistance and not go the other path to create something that goes through all the hoops, gets all the approvals, and um, has community debate, and there, there gets created and, and is, is something that people buy into rather than as, a, as an act of defiance? Well, I think, first of all, a lot of people do buy into what we're doing. Um, a lot of people have expressed their support for what we're doing, including, so, including leadership in law enforcement, who have said, we recognize that we are in the midst of an overdose crisis. We recognize that there are not enough services and supports or the right services and supports for people. And thank you for stepping forward, because what's happening right now is impacting everyone in this community in different ways. 
So the reason why we're doing it this way is because we don't have time to jump through hoops and go through long bureaucratic processes right now. We can we can have that conversation and and I do intend to have that conversation to initiate the discussion with health and um, other leadership in the community. But in the meantime, we're going to act to save our friends' lives. We're going to act to keep our friends safe. We're going to act to make sure that our friends aren't suffering brain damage or uh, incurring more harms or experiencing more violence like that. We don't we don't have time to wait to keep people alive. But even in doing it this way, I mean, there are all kinds of complexities to such an initiative like this. For example, you know, have you there's the various zoning implications that you talked about earlier. There's municipal bylaws that could be potentially uh, coming into play. As you said earlier, there's the the potential of a police, but there, there's, there's just so, so many other aspects of it. I'm sure there's listeners sitting there and going, look, why, why do you have to create such controversy, get in our face like this and, and, and not go through another channel, another way. If what people are upset about is community members coming together to save other community members' lives and show them care, then they're not paying attention and they're not upset about the right things. If you're upset because I'm not following a bureaucratic process to save lives, then that's something we're just going to fundamentally disagree on. I, I don't think, show me what is the controversy in, keep, in keeping people alive in a health emergency. You mentioned earlier that you had spoken to police. Have you talked to, say, fire, to municipal politicians? Who, yes. who else have you spoken to? Tell me about who you've All talked of them. with. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Well, when you say everybody, have you talked to the fire chief? Yes. Okay. Uh, municipal politicians. Have you talked to the mayor, to members of council? Yes. So every member of council is aware that this is going to take place? Uh, they should be at this point, yes. Right. How about the county? Anybody at the county have you talked to? Mm, I haven't talked to anybody at the county yet. No, not directly. Right. I've invited them to um, the event that we're hosting on March 27th, to the documentary screening and the public education and, and uh, information event that we're organizing. That that we've been, I've extended invitations to. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. What about sure. the MPP or the MP? Have you talked to them at all about this? Yeah, so I've had meetings with Philip Lawrence in the past. Uh, I haven't let him know explicitly that we're doing this, but I am intending to extend invitations to him and to MPP Pacini to, again, to the event on the 27th. One of the things you said in the press release is that you're going to use this experience to gather data to support the next stage of this work. Can you describe the type of data you hope to collect? Yes, so um, we're going to be collecting just very... Um, high-level data in terms of numbers of folks who are using the site each night, um, how many folks are using the injection tent, how many folks are using the inhalation tent, and how many folks are accessing harm reduction gear. How does this data help your cause? Well, I think it just puts numbers. It, you know, everyone wants evidence-based uh, decision-making, and so this will provide evidence that there is a need. We know people are using criminalized drugs in our community. Um, but this will let us put some numbers to that. Um, it'll let us show uh, a little bit in terms of the patterns of which methods of consumption people are using. 
And that I hope will help inform decision-making down the road. If we do get to the point, which I hope we do, where we're talking about actually um, uh, mobilizing a sanctioned consumption and treatment services site, one of the parts of that conversation will be around the need for inhalation services, because what so many of the CTS sites in this province are missing are inhalation services. And a huge number of people who consume criminalized drugs are being marginalized and aren't getting services and aren't being able to access the services of those sites because they smoke their drugs or in, or consume them in a different way other than injection. And so a number of years ago, that would have made sense because a number of years ago, the most um, common method of consumption was injection, but that's changed. And we're seeing now in places like BC where they've been so, you know, um, pretty much, uh, you know, much further ahead than most of the country in terms of how they're dealing with the overdose crisis and how they, um, you know, pro uh, provide harm reduction services, um, that they're not even keeping pace right now with the shifts in in the way that folks are using these substances. Um, it, so smoking inhalation is the most commonly um, used method of consumption right now in Ontario and in this community. And there are no safe, con there's one safe consumption, so there's one uh, consumption and treatment site in Ontario that allows for inhalation. It sounds to me, if I'm hearing you correctly, that this is a starting point and eventually you're looking for something permanent that would be available, what, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. You talk in the press release about community engagement and education. What are some of the things you feel the community needs to learn? Well, so I think that, you know, just where we started our conversation, what is an overdose prevention site? Um, you know, you asked me the question of, do we provide the drugs to folks? I think that a lot of people don't have the basic information about what these sites are about, what they, what it looks like in practice, who's using them, um, why there's a need for them. So that's the biggest piece is just making sure people have the basic education around what an overdose prevention site is. Um, but then I also hope to um, help engage folks in, again, seeing um the humanity and seeing the people who will use these sites. Because so often the stigma and criminalization of using certain substances dehumanizes the folks who use those substances. They're seen as less than, they're seen as undeserving. And so part of our education is to also, you know, I, I hate to even say that we have to humanize humans, but apparently we do. And so that's part of it as well. Now you mentioned earlier, I'd like to come back to it now. You talked about a film. Tell us mm -hmm. more about this film. Yes. So the film is a documentary called Love in the Time of Fentanyl. And it came out last year. It did the film festival circuit. And it tells the story of the Overdose Prevention Society, which is um, an unsanctioned overdose prevention site in Vancouver that started operations a number of years ago in you know at around i think it was probably around 2016 when bc declared the overdose crisis to be a public health emergency and they had insight which was canada's first or north america's first um uh safe consumption site right a safe injection site but that was the only site that was available 
And this group of frontline workers, of people who use drugs, they did what we're what we're doing. And they said, we're not going to stand by. We're not going to wait for you to, you know, it took decades to get Insight um, set up and running. And they said, we, we don't have time to wait for you to go through that whole process again to get another site. We're doing it ourselves. And so this tells the story of that community, tells the story of the site. It shows the community members who use the site. It shows the community members who work at the site. Um, it, it shows the impact that this overdose and toxic drug poisoning crisis is having on people on a deeply personal level. Um, and it shows in sort of, um, you know, in a really beautiful way, the basic day-to-day operations of the site. And it gives people um, who may not otherwise have any entry point to see what this looks like in practice, an ability to be brought into that, into that world and to learn firsthand from the people who, you know, live it every day, what it's all about. Can you give us some more details about the screening? Where is it taking place? When? Yeah, so it's a free screening. That's the most important part. We want this to be accessible to everyone in the community. So it's a free screening. We're holding it on Monday, March 27th at Victoria Hall, 55 King Street West in Coburg. There's a theater there. And so we're going to start at 530 with free food and drink. Um, We're going to be offering naloxone trainings. So anybody who's interested in learning how to identify an overdose and how to respond to it, and use uh, the overdose, the opioid antidote of naloxone can learn. Um, and then we're going to start the film screening around uh, 6.15, 6.30. We're going to show the documentary. And then um, following the screening, we're going to have an onstage panel discussion and audience Q&A. And uh, the panel discussion is one of the, I mean, I'm excited about the whole event, but I'm really excited about the panel discussion because we have two guests joining us from the Overdose Prevention Society in Vancouver who are featured in the film. Norma Viancourt and uh, Ronnie Grigg are going to be here to participate in that panel. And we're also going to have McQuag Aziz, who is one of the co-founders of Tweak Easy in Peterborough. They're going to be joining us and talking about their experience up there and how they've been guiding us in our um, mobilization of our site down here. And we also have Chance Brown, who's one of the members of our Tweak Easy Coburg team. We alluded to this earlier, and I want to come back to it, but uh, there is going to be no question that this is going to create a great deal of debate. And in that debate, obviously, there'll, there'll be differing points of view. And some will say that it's going to be controversial. Does the controversy help or hurt your overall goals? You know what? I think it helps. Because where there's controversy, my hope is that there will be an element of curiosity, that people will ask questions and will be willing to receive responses to those questions and so the controversy brings us into conversation with each other we can't we can't um you know dispel myths or combat uh fault like wrong information if we don't have a conversation so i say bring the controversy because that leads to conversation and then that can lead to that that community engagement and education that we're working towards there might be some people out there that'll say, you know, what if there's an emergency, a serious medical emergency that's beyond the scope of of what you're planning for, or that somebody dies? What 
what are you prepared for as an organization to how to respond to that? Yeah, so I'm so glad you asked this question, Rob. So I'll say two things. One, if and when there is a need to respond to an overdose on site, one of the steps that we take as part of our protocol is to call for a med- for an ambulance, is to call for a medical um, response from paramedics. That's just, that's part of our protocol. So um, emergency services, paramedics will be called. And the other reason why I'm glad that you asked that question is that for all of the years that overdose prevention sites and consumption and treatment services sites have been operating, there has never been a single death in any of those sites. If someone listening wants to learn more, what can they do? They can come to the event on March 27th. That would be the best way to learn more. Um, they can send us an email at tweakeasycbg at gmail.com. That's tweak, T-W-E-A-K, easy, C-B-G, at gmail.com. A little play on the speakeasy days of prohibition. What's next for your group? Um, getting ourselves, getting our operations up and running. We're, we're starting this month. And um, it's also going to be about building, continuing to build relationships and trust with community members who use criminalized substances because they are, you know, they're going to have to put a certain amount of trust and faith in us. But us also includes, you know, folks who are using criminalized substances and who, like I said, have already been saving their friends' lives daily, truly daily for some folks. And when do you have hope to have this starting? Uh, this month, middle of the month. 17th, 24th, 31st? 17th. Okay. 17th, yeah. okay. Missy McLean, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks so much for giving me this opportunity to talk about this subject. That was Missy McLean, an activist and one of the organizers of an overdose prevention site in Coburg. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.